the scariest stories are true. Amazon Prime exclusive Lore is a chilling six-episode anthology series from an executive producer of The Walking Dead. Each uniquely creepy episode takes a myth that's rooted in historical folklore and twists it, exposing timeless terrors that still haunt us today. Real life can scare you to death. Watch exclusively on Amazon Prime Video this October, starting on Friday the 13th. Lore, only on Amazon Video. This week, on Myths and Legends, we're finishing up the story of the dwarf with the long beard from Slavic folklore. And you'll see how someone who uses his ratty beard as a third hand might be unpopular with his friends and coworkers, and how a horse's ear canal is the very worst type of coat check. The creature this time is Big Ears, a cat from Scotland with, you guessed it, big ears, and also an army of undead demonic kitties. This is Myths and Legends, episode 85B. Hold on to your hat. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Previously on Myths and Legends, Prince Dobertek and Princess Pietnaka, who I've been calling Princess P, were going to be married until a massive tornado hit the city and they were right outside the church. When Dobertek regained consciousness, the princess was gone. She had been taken by an evil dwarf kept in a fancy prison room. The dwarf accidentally dropped his invisibility cap on the way out of the room one time, and the princess used it to escape. The dwarf sealed the castle and the wall, but the princess was still invisible and free from him, running around the courtyard. Meanwhile, Prince Dobertek received some very bad news. The competition to win the princess's hand was back on, and if he didn't bring her back, he would be killed. He left, got the poem to summon a magical horse from a talking skull, and the horse gave him a suit of armor and renewed purpose. He was going to find his fiance. Princess P waited for the dwarf to turn his back one more time before she ran. It had been a long few weeks in the courtyard, but if she didn't take time to appreciate the little things, like brutally crushing her captor over and over again, then she would go stir crazy. She had to sleep in trees and stay moving. Luckily, the dwarf didn't trust dogs, or else Princess P would have been found in minutes. She spent her days padding from tree to tree, or staying close to the walls, and her nights sleeping in whatever crack or crevice or tree where she thought she could hide without someone tripping over her, and sending her back to the prison room. The first couple of nights, after a rain, she thought of going back inside the palace, but that presented a new set of problems. The dwarf wasn't completely certain she was in the courtyard, so he was still having half of his people search the castle. The castle gave her fewer places to run, and the stone was bad for stealth, so she'd stay outside. Plus, she could watch the gate for any possible slip-up or visitor, where she thought she could slide through to the outside world. She knew she would get out. The dwarf couldn't keep the gate closed forever. In the meantime, she lined up another peach, this one about 10 feet back, and let it fly. It crushed his tiny body against the wall, and as he healed himself, Princess P could see him fuming and looking around fearfully in all directions. The more fearful he was to leave his quarters, the better. She snickered and ran toward the orchard. She was careful to avoid the leaves on the outside, lest he see the rustle and know she was there. She slipped into a spot she had found among the thorns and waited. 
The first few times she had almost been found it was harrowing, but now she knew that if she just held her breath and didn't move, no one would find her. The dwarf shouted to his servants and soldiers and looked around. Eyes sweeping the orchard, he looked over to the region where Princess P was hiding. And then her tree. As he strode over, she didn't worry. This had happened dozens of times, where a servant or even the dwarf himself will pull back the leaves on a plant where the princess was hiding, stare for a bit, and then move on to look somewhere else. The key was to stay still, hold your breath, maybe even close your eyes so you didn't react to the person and blow the whole thing. The dwarf pulled back the leaves of her tree with his magical, sentient beard and smiled. Hello, princess, he said. That, that was when Princess P felt it, or rather, didn't feel it. The invisibility hat had gotten stuck in the thorns above her when she sat down underneath the tree. The dwarf, standing there with a victorious, sinister smile, could see her. Prince Dobrotek galloped on the golden horse at full speed. His new sword and shield bounced to his side, and he knew that they didn't have any time to waste. His fiancée, the woman he loved, had been kidnapped and was being forced to do who knows what, and he had been wallowing in self-pity, wanting to die. He chastised himself. She needed him, and he only prayed it wasn't too late. The magical horse was also a helpful little bundle of exposition. He told the prince that Princess P had been kidnapped by the dwarf with the long beard. The prince nodded. He knew that dwarf from the group of suitors that had come seeking the princess's hand. He had suspected that dwarf wasn't there for the right reasons. Now, that was confirmed. Also, the dwarf had a hump on his back that weighed an oddly specific 280 pounds. That hasn't really come up yet, but it's part of the story. The horse didn't know where the dwarf lived, but he knew who did. The horse was like them, an ageless magical being. Some, like the dwarf, used his power for evil. The horse, however, liked to help humans, and the horse was taking Dobertek to meet another such being. The dwarf couldn't be killed by a normal sword, even one that was drawn from a horse's inner ear. The dwarf, long ago, had wounded his brother, a giant. In the last moments of the brother's life, the dwarf cast a spell and changed him into a mindless killing machine. He now stood guard over the one thing that could defeat the dwarf. Dobrotek and the horse looked out in the valley. Wow, Dobrotek said when he saw the valley before the mountain, littering the ground for nearly a quarter mile were bones, human bones, bleached white in the sun. The bodies of hundreds upon hundreds of people were here. Dobrotek looked toward the mountain at the center, and he saw the sun glint off of it. The sword. It was stuck in the ground at the base of the mountain. I see the sword, but where's the giant? You would think that a giant would be easy to spot, Dobrotek observed. He is, the horse replied. That isn't a mountain. It's a basilisk, a giant serpent. Dobrotek looked back and shuddered. He could see it. He thought the coils were deep ridges in the rock. The thing looked like it was designed to be hidden, to lure travelers in to try to get the sword. That explained the field of bones around the mountain. All right, ready? The horse said, snorting and stomping his foot. What? No. No, absolutely not. We can't find a serpent the size of a mountain, Dobrotek very rightfully observed. 
we don't need to fight it. We just need to get the sword. Once you touch the sword, the spell is broken. Until then, the giant is a mindless beast. Are you ready? He's still sleeping. And I'm fast. If we do this right, we might not need to be in any danger at all. Protect took a deep breath. Yeah, he was ready. Okay, good. Also, if it wakes up, don't look at it directly in the eyes. It'll pretty much instantly kill you. Also, as we get close, try not to breathe either. That thing is really poisonous. Joe Protect tried to yell out to the horse that no, no, he changed his mind and he was not ready, but the horse had already started to gallop. The horse was fast, and in mere moments, they had already covered half of the distance between where they started and the sword. Unfortunately, their trip was about to get much more difficult. Eyes opened on the mountain, and before them, the snake reared up and attacked. The horse yelled for Dobrotek to keep his head down and hold his breath, and even though he was on the horse, Dobrotek missed most of the horse nimbly dodging and jumping and avoiding the sweeping tail of the basilisk. The serpent twisted and changed their path a half a dozen times, but the horse persisted, and soon he was yelling to Dobrotek to look up. They were approaching the sword, and he would need to die for it, because the giant was also approaching the sword. Behind them, filling up their vision, the basilisk could see that they were about to make it, and so he was coming for them, tearing along the grounds and scooping the bones into his mouth. He was right behind them. Dobrotek didn't dare to look back, but looped his leg round to ride side saddle. They would have one shot at this, and if Dobrotek didn't get the sword, they would both be added to the bones in the field. The horse slowed enough for Dobrotek to safely dive, and it was perfect. Dobrotek dove and grabbed the handle, turning it and pulling the sword from the ground. The horse skidded to a stop behind him, and Dobrotek rose to his feet and held the sword out in front of him. He didn't know what he was going to do. He saw the seemingly endless rows of teeth and knew that the serpent could eat the horse, the sword, and him, and it wouldn't hurt him any more than one of us eating a particularly pointy tortilla chip. That's why he closed his eyes and winced. But the impact never came. A few seconds of silence after he expected to be hit, he opened his eyes and saw the serpent just sitting there. It was smiling. It had a look of boundless gratitude. Then it began to shrink. Arms began to emerge from the serpent as it shriveled. Then legs. The face morphed and became human. Soon, the giant was standing before him as he had been decades and decades ago. Then he collapsed. He had been changed in those last moments of life. He didn't care that he was dying now, though. He had been a monster longer than he had been a man, and he had been consumed every day by hunger and anger. Watching himself as the snake kill more people than he would ever know, and he thought he would have to continue like that forever. He turned to Dobrotek and the horse and thanked them. His voice was weak, but said if Dobrotek wanted to bring justice for them, he gestured out toward the field of bones, then there was another monster he must face. The dwarf, the giant's brother, he was the one who had done this and the sword was the only weapon that could harm him. The giant then paused and chuckled. He said that the dwarf had told him of a prophecy, long ago, about a powerful hero who would use the sword to kill them both. He thought it was a lie that his brother had told him to get him looking for the sword. Now, he hoped it wasn't. With his last words, he blessed Dobrotek and told him the location of the castle where, long ago, he had lived happily with his brother. He also told him that the dwarf was immortal, except for one weakness. It was like Koshe the Deathless, except instead of a bizarre living Russian nesting doll situation, all the dwarf's power 
His soul was in his beard. Cut off the beard, and the dwarf goes with it. The giant sighed, smiled, and died. Dobrotek and the horse were there for him in his final moments, and were happy that, after decades of being a mindless, ravenous monster, he could finally find some peace. After the giant was gone, the horse looked at Dobrotek and asked if he could take Dobrotek to the dwarf's castle so they could end this thing. The prince shook his head. He had one more stop to make. He was going back to his own kingdom. He was going to gather an army. We'll see Dobrotek finally head for the dwarf's castle a few weeks later. But that will be right after this. The dwarf's beard grew and twisted around the princess's hands. When she fought, it made its way to her neck. And the dwarf let her know that she could either come willingly or she could be dragged unconscious. It was her choice. She spat on the beard and he wrapped it around her neck. Even before he could squeeze, he heard the shouting. He ignored it. His slaves were always upset about one thing or another. The chief complaint was the fact that they were, well, enslaved. Though this was different. His soldiers, the mercenaries, were running for the wall too. They were a little more difficult to scare. When he heard the trumpets, when he heard the trumpets, he knew that this time was different. He sneered at the princess and pulled her forcefully from the bush. He dragged her up to the wall and looked out upon the army amassed on the field. The seven-inch-high dwarf rolled his eyes. Was this what everyone was literally up in arms about? They had repelled armies before. The walls were enchanted. The dwarf was magic. <laughs> He'd go out and end this... Wait. The leader. Riding on the golden horse. That sword. The dwarf had to sit down. If that sword was here, that meant that his brother... This was serious. He looked at the princess and pursed his lips. He would have to deal with her later. He said a few words, and she entered a sleep from which only the dwarf could wake her. He shoved her to the wall, put the cap back on her head, making her invisible. He remembered the spot. That problem out of the way, he turned his attention back to the army. He sighed, kneeled, and shot off into the air. dwarf was fast and small, so small that Dobrotek didn't see him shoot hundreds of meters into the air, pause, and then gather speed, aiming all 280-odd pounds of his magical mass at the prince and the golden horse. As he flew toward the prince to end the young man's life, he took out his own daggers. And after the dwarf killed him and plucked the only sword that could defeat the dwarf from his lifeless hand, he figured he would just keep it in the locked room in the castle. In retrospect, having it guarded by a large, hungry serpent had really been a stereotypical villain oversight, and keeping it in a safety deposit box would probably just be smarter. Prince Dobrotek didn't see the dwarf as he hurtled toward the man on the horse, but the horse did. He could see the dwarf careening toward the prince, and at the last possible moment, the horse took one step backward. Everyone was surprised when the ground in front of the prince exploded. The horse backed up another few feet, because through the dust, the beard emerged. Dobrotek's soldiers were faithful and loyal. That's what cost them their lives. They swarmed the cloud of dust. The dwarf unleashed the full power of his beard as it snaked out in every direction, snapping spears, legs, and necks. 
For those that it didn't give a quick death, it took the pieces of spears and slashed and stabbed. In minutes, a chunk of the prince's army was dead and the dust cleared to reveal the dwarf at the center of it all. Now, go, the horse urged and let Dobertek down. The dwarf was stuck in the ground. His 280 pound hump had gotten lodged in the ground and the prince could see him straining. If he got his hands free, who knows what he could do? The prince knew that this was his one moment and rushed toward the dwarf. When the dwarf saw the young man running toward him with that sword, he swore and had to stop using the beard to pull himself up from the ground. Dobertek winced as he ran atop the bodies of his fallen men. As he did, he saw the beard coming for him. The dwarf was so used to just grabbing swords with his beard that he screamed out when, after trying to grab that sword, he got a haircut instead. The beard kept coming though, and Dobertek kept slicing it down and away until, at last, he was standing over the dwarf. The creature was so small, yet so powerful, the prince didn't waver in the least to grab a handful of the dwarf's beard hair, get as close to his face as he could, and cut. The dwarf screamed and, like the time with Princess P in the prison room, everyone was flung back a few feet. When the prince got up off the ground, he could see that the dwarf was slumped over in the hole, dead. It was over. It was finally over. And then he heard yelling from the walls. Hey, so, we're opening up the walls, the slave yelled. We've always really hated that guy, and we are super happy you're here. We're surrendering to you. Please pillage to your heart's content, but try not to kill us. Okay, lowering the drawbridge. Thank you. Dobrotek agreed to those really great terms, and he and his army entered the walls. After a fair bit of searching, the former slaves and mercenaries found Princess P, sleeping by the wall. The prince could see that she was alive, but he couldn't wake her. He knew that there were powerful magicians in both his kingdom and that of his once and future father-in-laws, so he secured her to the back of the golden horse. He strapped the dwarf to the side of it and rode on. They had one more stop to make. Dobrotek looked on the body of the giant after walking through the field of bones. All the people that had died because of the dwarf and the giant's stupid feud. Still, they had been brothers. With both of them dead, the sword was just another sword. He laid the tiny body of the dwarf next to the massive body of the giant and stuck the sword in the ground at their feet. They were together once again. In the few hours back on the golden horse, Dobrotek began to recognize the surroundings. They were on the edges of Princess P's land. They had made it. As soon as he had that thought, the horse stopped and announced that it was time for them to part. Dobrotek's quest was finished. The dwarf was dead and the golden horse had fulfilled his duty. Now, they were within walking distance of the castle, off in the distance. Dobrotek told the horse that there was no way he could ever repay the creature, but the horse shook his horse head. It wasn't necessary. There was one thing, though. The horse didn't give Dobrotek the armor, so... Yeah, he was going to need to put it back. Dobrotek said, of course, and began removing the armor, but the horse said that it wouldn't be necessary to do it like that. They had a whole check-in process, Dobrotek just had to put it back where he got it. Uh, oh, Dobrotek realized as he saw the horse lean his head over. The ear. After climbing in the left ear and leaving out the right, Dobrotek was back in his traveling clothes and out of the magnificent armor. He struck the horse's mane and the two friends parted. Dobrotek knowing that he would never see the horse that had saved both his and 
his fiancée's life, ever again. Then he looked on the princess, still in her deep, magical sleep, and kind of wished that the horse had taken them all the way to the castle. Even though they could see it, it was still really far to carry a person. It ended up taking even longer than he thought, and night fell before they could make it to the castle. He went off the road and into the trees a bit, built a fire, and ate the last of his provisions. Tomorrow, he would return to the kingdom a hero and marry the woman he loved, if he could ever wake her up. One thing at a time, though. He held her hand and fell asleep right next to her. A few hours later, if both hadn't been in such deep sleep, magical and otherwise, they would have heard footsteps and the armor of a knight clanging on the road. The knight on the road saw the fire flickering, glowing from the forest. And, being really lazy and not wanting to make his own camp, decided to politely ask, or failing that, threaten the traveler to allow him to stay the night there. He parted the leaves and could not believe his eyes. There she was. As it turned out, he wasn't just another knight. He was one of Princess P's rejected suitors. And wow, Dobertek had done it again. He had rescued her. And he would be the chosen suitor again. Or would he? The suitor looked at the sleeping princess and the sleeping prince. Dobertek wasn't even wearing armor. He was just in his traveling clothes. Everything the suitor ever wanted was right here before him, about to be taken away again by Dobertek. He shook the thought away, but it hovered, whispering into his ear. It could all still be his. He knew what he had to do. The suitor's hand shook just a bit as it went to his sword. Dobertek still hadn't woken up. The suitor slid the sword out. Dobertek snored. The point of the sword quivered as the suitor brought it up to Dobertek's chest, which was gently rising and falling. Now, the only thing that separated the suitor from his dreams was one simple shove. That was all it would take. Then there would be no more Dobertek. He could tell the princess he chased off bandits, and she might believe him. But it didn't matter. She'd still have to marry him, and he would get half the kingdom and be a king someday. Dobertek snorted in his sleep, bringing the suitor's attention back to that one little shove, the little detail that needed to be handled before he would have everything. The suitor gripped the sword. There would be no turning back. His conscience screamed at him as he hesitated until the last, hesitated until he did it. Once he stepped off into that abyss and pushed the sword forward, he was committed. He stabbed and stabbed and stabbed. He heard bones crack and the dull, fleshy sound of the sword slicing through organs until Prince Dobertek's eyes opened. But by then, it was too late. Dobertek tried to yell, but only blood came out. He saw the suitor take a deep breath and move to grab Princess P. He flung the sleeping body over his shoulder and ran from the clearing and tore the castle off in the distance where he would return to a hero's welcome. Dobertek was horrified. He knew he was dying, but he had come so close. Two monsters, a magic horse, and a talking skull. Now, no one would ever know his story. They would believe whatever lies this guy said. And, since he didn't return with Princess P, his father's kingdom would be destroyed by Princess P's dad. He used all of his strength to slump over on the ground, and then called on whatever reserves he didn't know he had, claw at it 
he would go as far as he could, tell the story to whomever he could, before he finally died. He would stay a fighter to the very end. Leaving a smear of blood on the ground behind him, he wished the horse hadn't left him. At least the horse would have woken him up when the murderer arrived. Then, he remembered. The horse, Dobrotek, barely able to speak, muttered these words before he lost consciousness. Come, magic horse with mane of gold. Come, dappled horse, oh come to me. Fly like the birds as you did of old, as flashes of lightning over land and sea. In a flash, the horse appeared before him and stared stoically off in the distance. What is your command, Prince? Do oh my gosh, the horse said. Looking down at the prince quickly bleeding out, he knew what he had to do. He galloped off, and in seconds, he was over the horizon. In Slavic folklore, there's this thing called the water of life, and it's used as sort of a get-out-of-death-free card. When the horse returned a few hours later, Prince Dobrotek was dead, and his body was already getting cold. The horse had collected the water of life, the water that cures, and the water that strengthens, and, without thumbs, opened each of the bottles and sprinkled them on the prince. Dobrotek's wounds sucked his organs back in, and his skin came back together and regained its normal color. In seconds, Dobrotek gasped and then began coughing. He looked up to the horse and smiled. He thanked his friend and said he almost died. The horse, ever the stickler for detail, corrected him, telling him that he did, in fact, die. Organs everywhere, blood on the ground, really gross. But he was alive now, and he had to go rescue the princess. Again. He told Dobrotek not to worry. She still slept. The only way to wake her was to touch her with the dwarf's beard. The one that Dobrotek had cut off in still had wrapped around his wrist. That was a very, very key detail that he declined to mention, but now Dobrotek knew. The prince tried to thank the horse again, but the horse had already disappeared in a whirlwind. No thanks was necessary among friends. Okay, so there was a lot going on in the princess's father's kingdom. The news of the rescue of his daughter the night before had been met with the bad news that she was magically asleep and couldn't wake up. And the even worse news that his kingdom was under siege. On a moderately unrelated note, a foreign army had declared that, given all the prince drama, this would be a fantastic time to invade. And it was. In one night, they were close to breaking the city. Until their army started dying. The men at the battering ram arched their backs and coughed up blood. Archers looked down to find their own arrows, ones they thought were safely in their quivers, sticking out of their chests. Whole groups didn't wake up, but were found in blood-soaked cots. The king, confused, tried to rally his men until he, too, was found in his tent, slumped over a table. His throat was cut, and he was pointing to one word, written in his own blood, that simply said, leave. Those remaining threw down their weapons and rode or ran from the battlefield as fast as they could. The city, thoroughly confused, cheered as they watched the people that, until mere hours ago, were all but certain to break and ravage their city, retreat in terror. When the field was quiet, one man appeared. He was holding a tiny cap, one that looked like it might fit on a man who wasn't even a foot tall. It was Dobertek. He had saved them. The people and the king looked on him with awe. The suitor that returned with Princess P also saw it, though he didn't look on it with all. 
His face was ashen as he saw Dobrotek stride into the city. His shirt still torn and bloody where the suitor had stabbed him. The suitor told the king that he had to go get something from his carriage. He'd be right back. He wasn't, and he had the good sense to never be seen again in the kingdom. Dobrotek went to the king and the princess and simply touched the beard to the princess's forehead. She woke with a start and her hands went to her neck. The last thing she remembered was being dragged by the neck out of the dwarf's orchard. So she was very pleasantly surprised to be looking into Dobrotek's eyes. The king looked at both of them. Not only had Dobrotek rescued his daughter, but he had saved the kingdom. The king apologized for the whole threatening to murder him thing and gave the prince half of his kingdom. That night, Prince Dobrotek and Princess Pietnika were finally married at the church and the weather was perfectly clear. If you've heard the Ivan and the Wolf episode, this ending was a bit similar, but kind of made a little more sense. I loved how complex the story was for a fairy tale. I've had some people write in, talking about how they've recognized most of the Slavic stories, but not this one, and they were excited to learn the identity of the dwarf with the long beard. And even though he's kind of a more dangerous and sinister version of Koshe the Deathless, back from episodes 5a and b, he, sadly, doesn't have a name in the folklore. He's just the dwarf with the long beard. Next week, it's all about Hans, and how a smart guy Hans is not. It's a fun, bizarre, and mildly horrifying episode, where you learn all about terrible consequences and why you should totally follow those yellow eyes that appear in the darkness. I want to say thanks to Rukuma, Mitch Tires, Snowmonkey75, Entify, Vanilla Bean, Halwill13, Drax06, Gemhog, Rodderchen3, BJ Russell, Hjordis, and Thunderdog192 for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. It's great to hear from you. And if you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still the best place. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of research-grade human fecal matter from people ages 65 to 74, and yes, you can apparently buy that online, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that are all hopefully better than human fecal matter. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this time is Big Ears, from Scotland. You might be a curious person, and that's great, but there are right ways to satiate your curiosity, wrong ways, and then there's Big Ears. Big Ears is a giant demonic cat that will arrive after a ritual that lasts four consecutive days. And it's, frankly, really dark. The ritual involves catching a bunch of cats, making a fire, and then roasting said captured cats alive, one after the other, while the person doesn't eat anything themselves. At the end of the four days, Big Ear shows up, and he's like a normal cat, except he's giant with yellow glowing eyes, massive claws, and yeah, Big Ears. Big Ears will appear at the head of an army of smaller cats, all screeching. If you think it's a good idea to try and summon a demon cat and hundreds of his little minging cats, there's really nothing I can do for you. An army of demon cats showing up after someone just roasted another army of regular cats is probably really great for you in your life. Also, it's a literal deal with a devil, which is definitely known for working out with no problems at all. Just what I'm saying is don't do this. The last time this ritual was recorded was in the 1600s in the Hebrides, which are islands off the western coast of Scotland. This creature is sometimes considered to be a cat Sith, 
the Scottish King of the Cats that we talked about a long time ago. I'm really going to drive the point home that this is not real, so you shouldn't hurt cats. And if you want an answer to your question, there's another way to go about this ritual that costs far fewer animals. You can wrap yourself in the warm, still steaming hide of a freshly killed ox and lay at the bottom of a waterfall for hours. Your eyes dark, your body warm, and your ears assailed by the noise of the waterfall. It's believed that whatever notion finds its way into your mind in such a situation has been communicated by the invisible spirit creatures that live in such places. So, you know, that, or just Google something if you want to know the answer. That's it for this time. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There's a list of other music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to Loot Crate for sponsoring us this time. On a quest for epic gear, housewares, and collectibles, Loot Crate has an epic range of pop culture items, all for less than $20 a month. It's the best surprise you know is coming. Be the envy of your friends and get your 100% exclusive crates at lootcrate.com legends. Enter my code, legends, to save $3 on any new subscription. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.